Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. This episode includes narratives involving accidental deaths, which may be distressing for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. This is a story of four guys that are playing a video game, and can they hack it? Can they recreate this? And then when they did, it was, oh my gosh, we can make a lot of money out of this. In 2013, a group of computer-savvy young men exploited a flaw in one of Electronic Arts Sports' online games, FIFA. They found a way to generate huge amounts of in-game currency. This is one of the most popular and profitable video games ever invented in the history of the world. They then worked out a way to sell these FIFA in-game coins for real dollars. The money that Anthony and, and the other boys made was staggering, it was mind-blowing. This is their story. You are about to step into the minds of gamers who discovered how to outsmart the system. This is Hacker Hunter Next Level. Not just another true crime podcast, but a genuine cybercrime series unraveling historical hacks by following the footsteps of their protagonists. Brought to you by Tomorrow Unlocked, the cyber immunity channel from Kaspersky, in collaboration with the team of Euronews Tech Talks. I'm your host, Lara Misa Ingram. This is episode one, Anthony. It's February 2004. We are in Whittier, a small city on the outskirts of Los Angeles, California. It is the home of Anthony Clark. Anthony's weaving a blanket for his little sister in his school crochet club. He is a 13-year-old with a dexterous hobby, crochet weaving. Interviewed by a local paper, he says... I like that when I crochet, I get to do something with my hands and see the results right away. Anthony's hands-on talents soon moved from crochet to gaming. Gaming and crocheting may appear to be two completely different worlds, but in reality, they share more things than you expect. Both demand skill, creativity, and problem-solving, and Anthony excelled in each of these domains. He was quite the child prodigy, according to childhood friend Zach Hernandez. Growing up in elementary school, people started to notice his mind being a little bit smarter, a little bit quicker when it came to like electronics. Uh, we would play um, like Crash Bandicoot. Twisted Metal was a, a game that we would play forever. Sean Burgess is Anthony's aunt. She remembers an inquisitive and playful boy. He was starting off tearing things up and putting them back together from a really young age. Him and my son. You know, they started off with like these little erector set kind of things and then it just got bigger and bigger and then and then they moved on to like electric cars and then went on to gaming and, you know, my son was the gamer and Anthony was the, okay, so what do I need to fix to do this? Like, 
you know, he was like trying to figure out how to give them more lives. The games themselves weren't the challenge. What was behind them at the machine level became way more interesting. His interests were his friends. He had friends. He played baseball, video gaming. He did a lot of coding and things like that. So he was just, just a normal kid. Extremely gifted when it came to coding. He wanted to do apps. He was asking us, like, um, if there's an app that you want, like something that you want to do, but you can't. I wish there was an app for this. And he, you just give me the idea. Give me an idea and I'll figure it out. He was ambitious in that way. Like he, his ambitions were all in computers. Microsoft even offered Anthony a job when he was in junior high. He was no older than 15. He discovered vulnerabilities in games and would send brief warnings to Microsoft. They asked him to start beta testing different things for them. That was a big deal for us. Man, this, he's going to make it rich by, by doing what he loves. Anthony and three gamer friends formed a company called RainCorp, named after the initials of its directors, Ricky, Anthony, Nicholas, and Eaton. Rain were gifted gamers and coders, so talented at both things that they are about to commit one of the biggest gaming hacks in history. Anthony was the smartest among us. He was like the best. I idolized him. This is Eaton's Vare, one of the four partners of Rain and Anthony's foray into the business world. Eaton describes how he ventured into hacking for the first time. Well, actually into modding. I modified my Xbox and then I started moving to the Xbox 360 system. And that was a lot harder to work with because Microsoft didn't like some of the mods people did on the original Xbox. So they increased their security quite a lot. And it took a while before the modding scene for that took off. Modifying your Xbox to enable functionalities not originally intended by the manufacturer is against the terms of service. But curiosity was already installed. Like when Anthony couldn't stop disassembling objects at his aunt's house to see what was inside. Once all four of them realized what they could do with an Xbox, they wanted to continue. There are other things we can do, like eventually people figure out how to mod Modern Warfare games and host prestige lobbies and make a lot of money doing it. In the context of games like Modern Warfare, a prestige lobby typically refers to a multiplayer match where players can quickly gain experience points and reach higher levels or prestige levels in the game. Achieving higher prestige levels often comes with in-game perks or status symbols. Presumably, players would pay to join these lobbies to quickly advance in the game and unlock various rewards. And I figured that might be something I want to try as well. To understand how, we need to first know what digital tokens are in games. Brendan Corner, journalist and contributing editor for Wired magazine, explains. So specifically the titles made by Electronic Arts. Um, they make FIFA and they make um, basketball games. Um, and they had a thing where you were rewarded for completing games, completing tasks, attaining new levels, where they would issue you a digital token. It's called a coin. Um, and so for a lot of players, the more coins they could get, the more capabilities and privileges and extras they could get within the game. This strategy aimed to keep players hooked on the games. Even after mastering a level, the goal was to encourage ongoing play by collecting in-game coins for various goodies. You could create special versions of players, new uniforms, what have you. So 
It was a really ingenious way for Electronic Arts to create replay value within their sports games. Eaton had already mastered the art of adding modifications, or modding, the code of various video games, including the highly popular first-person shooter game Halo, before he looked into Electronic Arts' FIFA, the video game series that simulates football and would dominate the gaming global market. I was a freshman or sophomore when the FIFA stuff got started, and through my Halo modding connections, we discussed with a small group of my friends, what else can we do? What other games are out there that we can make money off of? And people noticed that FIFA coins were a popular commodity online that people would buy. So we started looking into that. When playing games, actions like starting, finishing, or winning a game trigger requests to servers. For example, winning a game earns you coins. That inspired a thought. So we immediately thought, what if we automate this process without having to actually play the game ourselves? So that's when we started to create our own code to automate the playing of FIFA soccer games to get coins from the proceeds of the win or loss. So effectively, Anthony, Eaton, and his two other coding partners at Rain were earning coins for plays without actually having to play. Anthony was the technical mastermind. He was like the best Halo modder. He would make all the mod tools. He was really good at what he did. He developed an application that would send a message to Electronic Arts servers, signaling the completion of a game. This way, they could earn coins as a reward. They shared this program with numerous computers, sending the message hundreds of times per minute for games that never actually occurred money started pouring in. There were actually resellers. This is again journalist Brendan Corner. There were these Chinese entrepreneurs who would buy at a wholesale price, and they had markets open, obviously beyond the reach of US law enforcement. Since they'd worked out how to manipulate the FIFA game for coins, they now needed to scale the operation. Eventually, we just got to the point where we can move it on the cloud servers and make this a lot faster, and that's when we could exponentially increase production. In no time, they were making big bucks. At the time, yeah, it was a dream come true. Like, I won't need a job after college. This, this could be it. I could retire and just enjoy my life, go traveling. Ethan, Anthony, and the others were certainly enjoying the cash flow expensive cars. I purchased a Mercedes AMG CLA 45. I paid in cash. VIP events. I think he went to Coachella for the first time after making money and he got to, you know, meet some of his favorite celebrities because he got like a VIP ticket and was able to do different things. And expensive gifts. He always wanted to buy a house for his mom. He always wanted a home to have all the family over for Christmas. That was his big thing with a picture of him buying the house for the, you know, the first time that the realtor gave him the keys and how excited he was. They were making a fortune and Anthony didn't want to hide it. Of course, my sister and his family, and we were all really, really happy for him, really proud of him. Who buys a house at 24, <laughs> you know? And in a really nice area, and Anthony thought he did everything right. He went to an attorney. He set up a limited liability company, and everything related to the venture was registered under his name. What thieving kid does that? Pay his taxes on money that he made. We asked him, of course, you know, Anthony, what are you doing? And he was like, I'm not doing anything wrong. Also, Eaton opened a business bank account to register their operations. 
We were obviously very concerned with how all this money comes from China, overseas. Like eventually something's gonna happen, so we made sure to make everything as legitimate as possible. The large figures were hard to overlook. I still remember the day my accountant said, you're writing the biggest check to the IRS I have ever seen. The IRS, or Internal Revenue Service, is a bureau of the U.S. Treasury responsible for the collection and enforcement of taxes. And this was like $1.6 million just going straight to the IRS. I made sure everything was clean, as clean as I could get it to be. Eaton's parents did suspect that their son's activities could be shady. My parents at times asked me, is what you're doing legal? Are you sure? Like, the FBI's not gonna come knocking, are they? I'm like, no, no, no. If anything, the company will just tell me to stop. <laughs> and then I'll do it, and I'll find something else to do. But things became much more complicated. None of them had malicious intent. If they would have sent you something, would you have stopped? They all said they would. None of these kids were working off of, you know, false password or false names. But the group's soaring income didn't go unnoticed by the FBI. They watched them for, what, five years? And they never sent them anything and the FBI was watching them for that long. How come they never were told they were doing something wrong? Let's pause for a moment here. This case is unusual. So on the one hand, Rain Corp was exploiting bugs in the game for profit. But on the other hand, they were open with tax officials about their income. Tech journalist Brendan Corner explains. So I want to emphasize one point about hackers in general, and specifically these game hackers, is that they're largely self-taught, and so they rely on themselves for their own counsel. Uh, and on some level, they think they're pretty darn smart. And they are right that they are brilliant at uh, technological meddling um, and coding and all those sorts of things. Um, but I think maybe it carries over to them thinking like, well, we actually know about business and law as well, and they kind of put their heads together and say, well, if we're a corporate entity, then we're exempt from any kind of legal or criminal liability. Legit? Depends on your perspective. Whereas if they went to a lawyer, um, like a lot of established adults would do, that lawyer would counsel them that they were treading on dangerous ground. So I think it's part of the bravado that makes them good hackers. Um, also undermines them when it comes to things like criminal and, and, and tax law. It was six in the morning on September 17th, 2015, when the police knocked on the doors of Anthony and his friends' houses. Then greeted with shotguns in their faces. There were almost 30 officers. The whole property was surrounded. To their shock, the FBI was raiding their homes armed and ready to seize assets. It was like if they were taking down a drug cartel. Anthony couldn't believe it. Anthony didn't have a clue. They were all like, you know, stop. What are you doing? Like thinking, do you have the wrong house? Like what's, what's happening? They took every electronic in the house, including like, there was a Game Boy of my nephews. They took a, my nephew's a tablet for school. Eaton was also in shock. They were looking for files related to EA. They were taking this way more seriously than I thought they would. This is not gonna end well. Electronic Arts did not approach federal government. We approached them. 
what drew us to this case was the amount of money that these kids were able to make. This is the federal prosecutor, Brian Poe. There's $16 million, and there's Lamborghinis and Mercedes. On September the 17th of 2015, we executed search warrants simultaneously. They had no idea that the federal agents were going to show up at their home. And there, they found what they were looking for. We found a treasure trove of information, especially Eden Zaviri's computer, because he had every one of the chats that these guys had had. All the members of RainCorp were charged with wire mail fraud. Wire fraud is a criminal offense that involves the use of electronic means, such as the internet, to deceive someone for financial gain. It typically involves fraudulent activities conducted across state lines or internationally. It was first defined in 1952. Mail fraud is a similar criminal offense, but it involves the use of the postal system or any mail carrier service to carry out a scheme to defraud someone. The law dates from 1872. They are ancient laws trying to keep up with the digital age. I believe that all four of the individuals that we charged in this case came from families that were law-abiding families, that if they, their parents would have known what they were doing, they would have put some stop to it early on. The four of them faced two options, pleading out and avoiding entering prison, or risking going to trial that could result in a long sentence, a decision that each of them made individually on their own. Despite running a very profitable enterprise together, they had never met in real life. Their business and friendship lived solely online. Very quickly, you started to see lawyers for Eaton Zaviri, Castellucci, and Miller. They're coming in and wanting to cooperate. Anthony's three partners all agreed to plea deals, forfeiting their earnings and agreeing to testify against him. That was the first time I saw Anthony at the trial. I didn't want to have to testify against him, but it was, it was what I was legally obligated to do in the end, no matter how, how much I liked him as a person and a friend. But after his partner's testimonies, the prosecution accused Anthony of being the ringleader. Anthony's defense team knew he was risking a long sentence in jail. This is one of his lawyers, Arnold Spencer. Our defense really was at two levels. One was an emotional appeal. Here is a young kid who never intended to do anything wrong. And part of criminal law is intent. And the jury would see that and would find him not guilty just based on intent. We also had a very legalistic defense that what Anthony had done did not constitute a violation of the wire fraud statute. Uh, he had not obtained anything of value. What Anthony obtained from Electronic Arts or for short, EA Sports, was in-game tokens. And in their own terms of service, it literally says FIFA coins are neither money nor property. In my mind, when we first started talking about the game and how it worked and these FIFA coins, I'm envisioning my youth and Mario Brothers. This is Scott Gilbert, also from Anthony's defense team. Mario running across the screen and jumping and eating all these coins and watching the little counter up in the top corner of the screen. The numbers just go up and up and up and up every time, you know, we could, Mario would eat a coin. And that's essentially the same sort of concept. 
Anthony's team argued that for the government to charge wire mail fraud, they needed to prove that Anthony got actual money or property. It's not like EA came out of pocket. There weren't, there weren't unique assets that EA had and suddenly they didn't have. They said at a theoretical level, um, it gives one player an unfair advantage over another player and therefore makes the game less fun to play. But they never presented a single person who said, I stopped playing, I stopped paying you money because there are people who are getting coins for free. So EA never was able to prove that they were individually damaged. Anthony's team took the position that the coins were not valuable as EA Sports could create infinite amounts of them. If EA Sports wanted to create another 100 million of these coins, they could literally do it with a keystroke. But that's not how EA Sports or the U.S. government saw it. Pre-trial, we had this belief that EA would come in and testify these coins have no value. But the EA Sports representatives show up and it was night and day. Oh, that's not at all what that policy means. We were appalled that these people were stealing our coins. And the government's position was these are valuable coins. These coins can be sold on the internet. Soon, things weren't looking good for Anthony's defense. While the jury was deliberating, we told him that we didn't have a good feeling about it based on the way the trial had gone. Federal prosecutor Brian Poe had no doubts. Anthony Clark was kind of seen as the, the guy with the most knowledge uh, with how to, to run this. He was the guy that had the abilities to expand this program so that it would generate the more coins. And the verdict confirmed the feelings. The verdict form simply read, we the jury find the defendant Anthony Clark guilty as uh, to count one as charged in the indictment. Guilty of conspiracy to commit wire fraud. His aunt still remembers that moment. It was unreal. They said guilty and before it could even process in my head, they had him in cuffs. Anthony never actually entered prison. We started focusing on what would the appeal to the Fifth Circuit look like. And we thought there was a good chance that we would succeed. Worst case scenario, he would have had to go to jail for a couple of years and then would have come out as this fabulously talented programmer. But nothing of this happened. Anthony passed away accidentally while he was awaiting sentencing. Now you know why his voice is missing in this story. His story. February 24th was Anthony's birthday and he went out with some friends and you know, they drank, and he probably overdid it a little bit because, you know, this is the last birthday he's going to be spending outside. But he also was taking medication. Anthony carried chronic pain as a result of several surgeries from a back injury from the years he worked at Disneyland. My sister called me that morning and said, Sean, something's wrong with Anthony. He's not breathing. And I got there, and she said, Oh, Sean, he's gone. He's, he's dead. He passed away in his sleep on February 26, 2017. Two days after his birthday. He was 26 years old. Despite testifying against Anthony, Eaton regrets how events played out. I think that this trial, if it didn't happen, he would still be alive. And I... <laughs> I'm still very upset about that. He had so much to offer the world after this was over. 
Lawyer Arnold Spencer from Anthony's defense team also thinks the story should have had a different outcome. What happened in this case, and I'll believe this until the day I die, is that the government knew what they needed to know almost from the outset. And they sat on the case for well over a year and let them continue to mine FIFA coins and sell access to the FIFA coins to allow them to increase the amount of money that they made to drive up what their sentencing guideline range would have been to make their penalty more severe. They let them keep playing with fire, unaware of what they were risking. And the reality is that this is one of the most popular and profitable video games ever invented in the history of the world. There is no evidence that Anthony's exploits somehow took away from the popularity of the game or the value of the game, the profitability of the game. Anthony and his friends had to shut down their company, but they still left a legacy. The nearly philosophical question of what a line of code is worth. At the end of the day, it's a numerical value in a computer. It's no different than the jersey color on one of the soccer players. It doesn't really exist. This is Hacker Hunter Next Level, an original series uncovering the most notorious cybercrime cases. Brought to you by Tomorrow Unlocked, the cyber immunity channel from Kaspersky, in collaboration with the team of Euronews Tech Talks. Next time. This could be finally India's chance at actually having a shot at an international title. This is something special that's happening, you know? So the whole country is watching you. All eyes were on optic, like, hey, you know, these guys have some stardust. We saw not just one admin, but slowly a second admin. And then, probably five minutes later, a third admin. There's like a little bit of a scuffle. He fooled everybody. Kosekin is one of the biggest con artists that I've had the ill opportunity of meeting. We were so close to greatness and it all just came crashing down. Hacker Hunter Next Level is an original series produced by Tomorrow Unlocked. Narrated by me, Lara Misa Ingram. Produced and written by Greg Muller, Susie O'Neill, and Reiner Bach. Our script editor consultant is Marta Rodriguez Martinez. Edited by John Callahan, Recorded at VoiceOver Soho by Tom Sitchell and Genesis Studio. Based on a documentary series directed by Dee Dee Mayhand, Hugo Barkley, and me. Executive producers Reiner Bach and Hugo Barkley. The original music is by Mike McAvoy. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate it and subscribe for more Hacker Hunter Real Cybercrime Tales. For more stories on how technology is shaping our world, visit tomorrowunlocked.com or subscribe to Tomorrow Unlocked on YouTube. Thanks for listening. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.